Our Father, it is indeed a privilege to gather as your people in your house to sit under the preaching of your word. But as we have just read, we appreciate and are reminded that there is a spiritual battle and warfare going on. Lord, we are conscious that as we come to your words, there are things that distract There are things that may discourage. There are things that may dismay us. And we pray that you would guard our hearts and our minds from such things as you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would deliver us from a familiarity with your word. And I pray, Father, that people would not hear the voice of a man, but they would hear your words. And that we would not just meet together, but we would meet with you in this moment as the true and living God. And I pray, Father, that as your word goes forth now, you would deliver my words from error, keep them from straying to the left or to the right, but help me to preach only that which is helpful and true. And I pray, Lord, that all those both preacher and hearer alike, all those that hear this today would be built up in our most holy faith that we might serve you with faithfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure for many of you, the book of Ephesians is quite a familiar book. If you ask people what are their favourite epistles or parts of the Bible, Ephesians is one of those that often comes up because In the opening chapters, it it takes us back to God's grand plan of redemption. It takes us back to eternity past and it reminds us that God has chosen a people for himself. Despite all our sin, our darkness and wickedness, God has chosen us and he has showered us not a few blessings, but every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians reminds us that As I look around this room, that God has chosen people from every tribes and tongues. He's united both Jews and Gentiles. He takes us to the heights. He takes us to the depths. In Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6, Paul reminds us that if we are in Christ, we're to live differently in our families, in our marriages, with our children, in the world we live in. The book of Ephesians is a majestic book and there are many great encouragements. But in Ephesians 6, Paul ends with this warning, with this exhortation about warfare, about warfare. And he's reminding believers that there is still trouble in this life. And this morning, I'd like us to look briefly at Ephesians 6.10 onwards with these things in mind. Firstly, we will see that there is the reality of war, the reality of spiritual warfare. But secondly, we'll be reminded in this passage that there is one ultimate or one true enemy, and that is the evil one. We'll spend a bit of time, thirdly, on looking at how the evil one engages in warfare and what God has given to us to repel and to defend against 
his devices. And then finally, we'll look at the hope that we have in Christ. So let's firstly look at then the reality of warfare. And we'll read this in verses 10 to 11. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In these opening verses, we see that spiritual warfare is a reality and everyone must be ready. He says, be strong and put on this armour. He wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't necessary. I haven't met too many people who enjoy fighting, who like struggle, who like to struggle. Many are opposed to fighting. Some are pacifists. Many of us, I think all of us, wish it wasn't a reality that any of us would have to face. But war rages on whether we like it or not. I reckon if you took an opinion poll in the Ukraine right now, not many people would be for war. And you could vote against it, you can take opinion polls, but it doesn't really matter. War is a reality, physical war is a reality for those in that part of the world And the same is true in the spiritual realm. In fact, if you love the promises of God, if you love the first five chapters of Ephesians, whether you like warfare or not, it's immaterial. You have a target painted on you. We all have targets painted on us. Because in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, if we've been chosen, we've been forgiven, we've been saved, we've been adopted into a family, the family of God, our allegiance has turned from darkness to light. There are no neutral parties. There's no neutrality when it comes to spiritual warfare. There's no sitting on the sidelines. There's no sitting on the fence. And you know, this spiritual warfare, it's not just for leaders. It's not just for pastors, for your elders, for the deacons. It's not just for the strong or the mature. It's not for the brave. It's for every man, woman and child to be ready to take up arms. And so, brother, sister, if you are a believer, this command to be strong to put on the whole armour of God, this command is for you. It's for me. It's to ready up. I have never lived through a war. I suspect many of us have never been exposed to a war. But my understanding is one of the greatest acts of treachery in war is if a war, if a battle is raging that we don't fight, that we say, I'm not for this war, I'm I'm not going to be in this war, I'm, I'm going to be absent without leave. It's one of the greatest treacheries in physical, political warfare, and I think that the same can be said about spiritual warfare. You may not feel up to the task, and that's okay, because you're not. I'm not, we're not. And that's why Paul is saying our strength is to be found in the Lord. 
And the armour that we put on is not stuff that we cobble in our back sheds or in our garages. It's an armour that has been provided by the Lord. So firstly, the reality of warfare. None of us like it, none of us want it, but there it is. If you are a believer, we're engaged in the battle. But the second thing I'd like us to consider is, who is the battle against? Who are we fighting with? You know, in our fallen world, there are many fronts in this battle. If you're of the generation that has engaged in some sort of social media participation, you will know that it is a war zone on social media. But you don't have to be on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. If you're just in the workplace, I often speak to people in my church that say, how do I deal with this new situation where they're bringing in policies or practices that, uh, number one, is not biblical, but we've never encountered this before. But it's not just the workplace, maybe it's in your home, in your family. Dare I say it, it's not just unbelieving marriages, but even Christian marriages have conflict from time to time. And parents and children, siblings, one with the other, extended family. With all this hostility, it's easy to forget who we're actually fighting. It's the fog of war. In verse 12, it reminds us who our primary enemy is. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not the obvious things that we're wrestling against, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That, that's a lot. That's the war on many fronts. It's not flesh and blood. It's not our primary enemy is not activists online. It's not our spouse. It's not our kids. It's not our parents. In fact, the chief architect of it all is found in verse 11. It's against the schemes of the devil. It's Satan, the adversary, the father of lies. He is the number one enemy. Friends, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling in your workplace, maybe struggling in your marriage with your kids, Maybe there are strained relationships within this fellowship, within this church. Do you see the enemy as the person before you? The one you're thinking about? Perhaps the one you're gossiping about? Or do you see the ultimate enemy behind it all as Satan? 
the evil one. I say all of this because we must be careful not to devour one another. Not to yap at each other's ankles. Not to shoot one another in friendly fire. Show me a church that doesn't have problems. It has to be somewhere in Revelation towards the end. But brothers and sisters in churches, those who love Christ and love one another, so often in the fog of war, we fight and we devour one another because we've forgotten who the true enemy is. He loves to divide and conquer. He loves to break up families. He delights in discouraging churches by causing infighting. Let's not be deceived when there is conflict. Dig beneath the superficial layers. Peel back the onions and beneath it all you will see the schemes of the devil. So, the reality of warfare, public enemy number one, the devil. Let's see how Paul wants us to fight And the best way to learn to fight is to see the schemes of the evil one. What are his strategies? What does he do? And how can we respond? In verses 14 to 17, there are at least six items listed that we will need for spiritual warfare. And we will note that each one of them has a defensive function. Because it's the enemy that's often attacking and where they're cowering, trying to stand. But the last item, being the sword, has a dual role and we'll spend some time looking at that as well. Let's look at some of these things firstly. In verse 14, Paul reminds us of a belt, a belt of truth. Why a belt of truth? Why not a good old leather belt or, I I don't know, different types of belts that you can find these days? Well, we know Satan's main strategy is being the father of lies. Remember even in the Garden of Eden how he deceived Adam and Eve by painting God to be not as gracious and generous as, as he is. He sows seeds of doubt and discord and even physical and political wars, many armies employ propaganda. Just think about the ways Satan attacks you. Even this simple one. How many of you would say, I haven't spent time in God's word or in prayer because I've just been so busy So tired. Or he creates barriers with loved ones. They they, they didn't invite me to this. Or they didn't respond to me fast enough or with enough warmth. And why didn't they call rather than just text? Surely they must hate me. It's because of this thing that happened 13 years ago. 
How often does Satan paint a picture of God in our lives as saying he's distant and unloving? He doesn't know the struggles that I'm going through right now. Or perhaps he'll say to you, you know those friends that you've been concerned about? It's okay, you'll have another opportunity to share the gospel with them. You have another day, you have tomorrow. Now, this doesn't seem like a a major emergency. Nevertheless, when we are... You you all know that story of that that frog that's put in some some water and they they increase the temperature by a degree or so every, every so often... When we are bombarded with the propaganda by the lies of the devil, Paul says, fasten on that belt of truth. And any, anyone who's put on a belt knows that, you know, there's lots of little holes on this. You don't, you, for a belt to be effective, you've got to feel it. You've got to know it. And so it is with God's truth. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how many Bibles you carry around with you, it doesn't matter how accessible it is on your phone, unless you know and feel God's truth. Put on that belt nice and tight. Know God's truth in such a way that when the attacks of the devil come, we don't argue with it. Is it really what God's word means? Did God really say? We know. We know. Secondly, Paul tells them to put on a breastplate of righteousness. Why righteousness? Anyone here had a perfect week? Like, you know, really really good week, solid week. How many times have we stumbled and fallen because Satan has made sin look attractive and just like a fish looks at a bait, it looks very attractive and goes for it. We we find ourselves hooked. We find ourselves injured and because he makes it look attractive and once we've bitten it and we've stumbled and fallen... He reminds us of the holiness of God and now we can't come to God because we've sinned against our Father and we're overwhelmed with our sin and our failure and it's not the first time we've gone for this hook. We promised, we've repented of that but here we are time and time again. Every believer knows a time and a season when we become overwhelmed by our failures against our loving Heavenly Father. And when we're down, He treads us underneath. And that's why Paul says, put on that breastplate of righteousness. It's one that's been prepared for us by Christ. There is a uniform that's to be worn by believers, and it's not camouflage green. But it's robes of righteousness that are pure white. No one here is perfect. Even during this service, you've sinned. 
I have sinned. We have sinned grievously. Because who here can say, for the last 40 minutes, we have loved the Lord God with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. None of us have. And yet if we focus on our sin and not realise Christ is prepared, he's polished that breastplate of righteousness. We can come into his presence. We can say to Satan, flee from me. Friends, if you have stumbled, if you fall, don't lose hope. Be strong in the Lord and put on that breastplate of righteousness. But thirdly, he says, uh, put on some shoes, some boots, ready to bring hope and the gospel of peace in verse 15. You know, apparently we live in the lucky country. Think of it as the providential province. Or Many people come to Australia because they see God's blessings upon this land. Not just material blessings, but the legacy of a Christian history. There, there is peace in this land. But is that what we see? Is that the reality? Is that just our airbrushed view of our nation? Some of you might be aware that my wife works in, um, in foster care. Um, she works in an adoption uh, group. And they, they look after children that are struggling. Does anyone want to hazard a guess? In New South Wales, in a prosperous, rich state, how many children are in care? that have been, it, it, this sounds awful, but been removed from families because their family situation is that bad. Do you know, anyone want to hazard a guess? I'll tell you. 40,000? Yeah, around that. It's about 30,000. And they're the ones that they remove because there are homes for them. Now, the ones that remain aren't necessarily all happy marching up the hill, Jack and Jill, to fetch a pail of water. It's a, it's a, it's a sad indictment. I think it's one-third, just over one-third of marriages break up in divorce. Lots of lonely people. Lots of people hurting, confused. Many people see what others have and are filled with bitterness and envy. And Paul is reminding us we have good news. Now, of course, the gospel doesn't just fix these uh, family situations. It, it brings something far greater. It deals with the root cause of relationship breakdowns. Brothers and sisters, when you put your boots on, your shoes on, or whatever it is you wear to work, as you're lacing them up, are you thinking, 
I'm not just going to the office or the factory or the shop to do what I need to do, but I am going as an ambassador of Christ with good news to people who on the outside look fine, but deep down are hurting, are struggling, are under a burden. And part of that burden is they don't know or they don't appreciate what the consequences of sin are. They might see the superficial, this is broken, but they might not see that it's because their hearts are not right with God. In this spiritual warfare, we are first responders. You know, if there was a, a car accident after the service here, and someone was hurt, someone was bleeding on the curb, would it be right for us to just keep on walking? No, of course not. The world understands that. But the devil reminds us that, oh, everyone's okay. And we need to see, no, people aren't okay. They need help. And we need to come alongside them. And we need to realise God has given us this day. And this day can't be, it won't be given again. You know, you can, you can do overtime and earn more money, but there's nothing you can do to earn more time. Today is a day God has given to us. Will we share the gospel today? And then tomorrow and the next day. When you're putting on your shoes, ask yourself, where is the Lord taking me? Who am I meeting this day that I might minister the gospel of peace to them? Fourthly, in verse 16, we are told about a shield. It says, in all circumstances, take up a shield of faith to quench fiery darts. You know, sometimes I have Nerf wars with my boys, Nerf guns, don't judge me, but Sometimes there's a hail of Nerf bullets and, you know, they're very soft. They, they, they don't hurt. You, you try to dodge them fast, use super ninja skills, but the reality is in spiritual warfare, fiery darts come thick and fast and when they land, they hurt. I know some of you, as some of the people in my church, will be heading down to uh, the city today to, to march for an important topic, marching for life. What a twisted world we live in that to speak for the unborn, that will be twisted to say, we're bigots, we're haters. They're fiery darts. To stand for biblical marriage, to stand for a good and gracious God, We'll be labelled all sorts of things. And friends, you can try to dodge them like Nerf bullets. But we can't avoid all the attacks. And Paul is saying, Christ has given us a shield, a shield of faith, something to extinguish those fiery lies with God's truth and God's promises. And as we hold up that faith, hold up that shield, it points us away from us and reminds us of the faithful one, the perfect one, the all-together lovely.
Fifthly, he mentions that there is a helmet, a helmet of salvation. Sits on our heads. And we're to remember that we are sinners saved by God's grace. Now, in the evangelical church today, the broader understanding of salvation is very one-dimensional. So what, what, what do you mean? Our focus on salvation today is very focused on a forensic legal justification against the penal effects of sin, that on that great day, we will not face the judgment of God as we deserve, but we will be considered righteous. And that's true. That's important. But we've also been saved from the power of sin. And we haven't been saved just to live to ourselves. Because you know you can be an evangelical and live in a cave and live happily ever after and go, I'm saved, I'm happy, I'm not going to hell and that, that, that's fine. But it says we've been saved not by good works, but for good works. And we're to walk in newness of life. The gospel ought to change us. And it should be evident to all. And so when people see your marriages, your families, they shouldn't just say, oh, they've got a lovely family because they're a traditional, they like conservative values or because you vote this way or that way. And when we speak about our husbands and our wives and our children, it should be done with thanksgiving to God. Our hearts and our minds must be fully focused on our Saviour and the full orbit of salvation. Friends, when we go into battle, we're not going into a political... I, I know every... That, that's one of the great dangers of the last few years. And let, let me just issue a warning here. If your posts are more about politics and COVID and all those things and less about Christ, you've got a problem. Speak to one of your elders about it and deal with it. We should speak more about Christ than politics. We should speak more about Christ than our wives. We should speak more about Christ than our careers. Make much of the Lord Jesus. Because all those other things are temporal and passing and in light of eternity, really, not unimportant, but far less important than the glory of Christ. Put on that helmet of salvation. But this final piece of defence is a sword. It's a sword of the Spirit. And we understand that to be the Word of God. Now, of course, swords can be used as a def defensive thing. You can parry away things. And God's truth, we've seen, is important to counteract the effects of the devil. But a sword is often used for offence, attack. And we know how other religions have used physical swords to press their case, to promote their faith. But we haven't been given a physical sword. Believers have been given God's word to take up scripture, 
And the words that have been entrusted to us, given to us, to meditate upon, to think about, to memorize, to speak of, they penetrate deeper than any forged steel. You know that old ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, something along those lines. It's kind of cute, but when it comes to God's word, it's, it penetrates to the soul. And so how familiar are we with God's word? How reliant are we when we witness and share with others? Are we convinced that the Holy Spirit will take his words and convict people of sin? Not just a, an appreciation that leads to worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But not only does it convict of sin, you know, of righteousness, and of judgment, but God's word reminds us of the beauty and the glory of Christ. And the sword that breaks down is a sword that also heals. Can take out that decrepit and degenerate heart and give us a new birth. Isn't that our experience? Once we were all enemies of God. I once lived for my own desires, my own pleasures. I was king of my life. Then God had gracious dealings with me by his word. And it became precious to me. And it became a delight, as the psalmist says. Friends, in the heat of battle, and we've gone through many things here, we can lose our bearings, can't we? We can be discouraged. But our ultimate hope is this. The good news of Jesus Christ is he has won. He has guaranteed. He has secured victory. He has already defeated Satan. And if you are in Christ, the devil can never rob you of salvation. But he can rob you of joy. He can rob you of confidence. In summary, let's just conclude. Tomorrow when you wake up, will you be alert to the reality that a battle is raging, that a battle is going on, and that you're ready for the fight? Like I said, it doesn't matter whether you're for war or against war. Don't care for war. It's raging. In our church, and I'm sure you uh, might sing it here as well, we sing this song that says, O church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak, that's all of us, can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. Brothers and sisters, don't be aimless. Let's not be absent without leave, our heads in the clouds, 
we must prepare for daily battle. And in this, do we see who the ultimate enemy is? It's not your spouse, it's not your work colleagues, it's not political commentators, it's not the culture that we live in. It's Satan and his lies. Let's be careful not to devour one another. Know that our enemy is Satan and he is defeated. And in this battle, yes, we acknowledge our weakness, but Christ has given us a great armoury. It's full of all that we need. Belt of truth. That breastplate of white righteousness, not camouflage green. Gospel boots or shoes that we can go forth as first responders, bringing a gospel of hope. A shield of faith that we can hide behind. Glorious helmet of salvation and his word that we're to meditate on daily. We will not find strength in our own abilities, but rest in his. But I'll just close with this. Are you on the Lord's side? Are you his? Or maybe you don't engage in spiritual battle because you are going with the flow, with the tide. If you are not wrestling with sin, if you're not being bruised, your conscience is seared, can I say you're in deep trouble? You're in deep trouble. Because you are in the spiritual battle, but you're on the wrong side of it. I cannot presume to know anyone's spiritual state. But may I remind you that the Lord Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, and he's promised that he will come again. And in this period from his first and second coming, he offers to all forgiveness and reconciliation. He gives you an opportunity to put down your animosity, your rebellion against him, to bow the knee. And although we deserve to have our heads lopped off, he comes to offer peace. And he says, come, join my side that you might be a soldier of peace, heralding the gospel forth to others. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a faithful saviour. He is a merciful king. Come to him and live. If you come to him, he won't turn you away, but he will welcome you with open arms. Bring all your sins to him. No sin is too great or too many for the blood of Christ. Come to him, live and be saved. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the great work of the great commander, our cap the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly and freely came, leaving heaven's throne, to come into the, the sewer of this world, to live amongst a sinful people, to redeem and rescue a sinful people, and to pay that great price of laying down his life for those who are not worthy, but for rebels, to make them, to make us his friends. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you. Have mercy on them. Open their eyes. 
help them see, draw them into your kingdom. And for those of us who are already within the ranks, I pray that you would help us to fully appreciate the great battle that we are engaged in, but that the victory is won and secure, and you've given us every piece of equipment that we need to serve you faithfully. Lord, be gracious to us. Help us to march forward by faith for you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And in his great name we pray. Amen.